all in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. Hey everybody! It's All In Your Mind, once again, special author edition. Uh, today I have with me, as usual, my co-pilot, Mr. Dwayne Beeman. Hey, guys. We have director Ken Jackson. Howdy. Action Jackson. And uh, the man in the spotlight today is Tom Doyle, author of the American Craftsman trilogy, starting with the first book, American Craftsman, the second book, The Left Hand Way, and the third book, War and Craft. Welcome, Tom. Well, thank you for having me. This is great to be here. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here. We're pretty excited about uh, about this series. Well, so you know, it's going it, to be it, a... It, it's, it's, it's one of those establishing, you know, it is a trilogy, and this book establishes the whole universe that we then um, are able to travel through with the foundation that the first book gives us, you know. So everything that comes out of the first book, you know, will be... You know, by by making sure we get everything established in the first book, it just makes everything else flow so much more easily. Well, it certainly makes sense, forward. and and yeah. for for the contemporary graphic audio fan, this will be an extra long book then compared to what the what we usually yeah. running length. It'll be go such for. a treat though for those people oh. who just don't want it to end. Yeah, and actually, will feel like <laughs> hey, <laughs> maybe it won't, <laughs> but it will. Awesome. Well, well, um, Tom, let's. Uh, why don't we have you uh, talk about the basic premise? Uh, I mean, we've got uh, we've got elements of, of American. Uh, this is very much an American fantasy. We've got alternate American history. Mm -hmm. We've got magic. We've got military action and suspense, and we've got espionage. Uh, and and uh, how does all that tie together? Well, <laughs> so it's uh, you know. Military, you got uh, magician soldiers, psychic spies, and as you're saying, a backstory that assumes that Poe and Hawthorne were writing thinly veiled nonfiction. <laughs> that there's a secret history running through every big event. You know how mm -hmm. how did George Washington survive at the uh, Battle of Brooklyn Heights? Well, the weather turned bad. Well, how did that just happen? <laughs> and it's these guys. How did uh, Stonewall Jackson's own men shoot him? Well, it's these guys <laughs> arranging for it. So that's the uh, so they've been active through our history, but no one's seen it except okay. these few writers writing about it in secret. And then we reach the present day. These folks have been feuding with each other. Mm. And you know, originally it was going to be a big picture book of all of the secret magical history of America. But I did a first chapter that was focused on a military mission, the military mission that opens American Craftsman. Right. And I showed that to uh, now best-selling author Stephanie Dre, mm. and she's a big history buff and a big, she was an ideal reader for this, and she took a look at that chapter and she goes, this is good. <laughs> Do this. Focus on that. <laughs> Focus on that. <laughs> don't don't go too far abroad. And it was great advice. And so that's what it it ended up focusing more on those magician soldiers and psychic spies wow. than everything else. So this now you're talking about uh, American families that date back to the British colonies. Yes. That, uh, so specifically uh, the the three figures that I'm aware of that at least in the first book are 
John Endicott, Anne Hutchinson, and Thomas Morton. Yes. And of those three, two of them are kind of famous because uh, Hutchinson is, uh, she's had a book about her recently. Right. She's a notorious heretic that uh, at least we used to learn about her in grade school even, how she was right. kicked out of the Boston colony and had to go down to Providence first. And uh, she has a parkway named after her right, in New right. York. Um, and uh, John Endicott of Salem, the Endicotts are also famous. There's, and their descendants, there's an Endicott College. There's also some Endicott Roadway up that way. Right. So um, the one who's not so famous, but is the ancestor of the main character, of the protagonist, yeah. uh, Tom, Thomas Morton, he's been called America's first rascal. Hmm. And because he would set up these maypoles, and that's kind of a paganish thing to do amongst the Puritans. He'd set up a so, maypole, have a party with the Native Americans, hmm. trade with them, trade guns with them, believed in you know good relations with them. Well, the Puritans uh, from Salem and Boston were not having it, yeah. and they would arrest him. And they sent him back, I think, three times, but like a bad penny. He kept on coming back from <laughs> England and trying to, you know, have his vision. And if his vision had won out, American history might have been very different. You might have had mm. more of a syncretic uh, joint culture of uh, Native Americans and Europeans, but it did not win out. Interesting. Now, in your, in your history, where do the Native Americans fit in, magically speaking? Well, that's where Thomas Morton uh, learns, uh, you know, that he has magical powers and that he um, uh, kind of trains with Native Americans. And okay. you find that out. That's actually only in the appendix to book one. <laughs> oh, you okay. find that out. But there's a little episode where that. And he, uh, so he has, takes uh, uh, Native American wives, has descendants. And hmm. so... They are kind of in themselves a sort of joint culture. See, see this is good because um, you know I play Dale Morton and <laughs> I have I have Cherokee roots. You know. Oh, that's oh. perfect. <laughs> so, so yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, truth mirrors fiction. Uh, <laughs> did you want to read that blurb about the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you, do you have it? it? Go for it. Let's uh, do. Uh, yeah, this will this. Uh, Ken is going to give us, as narrator and director of the of the series, he is going to give us a little dramatic reading from the cover board. <laughs> oh, awesome. Should I, should I make it dramatic? dramatic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. In a world, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In modern America, two soldiers will fight their way through the magical legacies of Poe and Hawthorne to destroy an undying evil, if they don't kill each other first. U.S. Army Captain Dale Morton is a magician soldier, a craftsman. After a black ops mission gone wrong, Dale is cursed by a Persian sorcerer and haunted by his good and evil ancestors. Major Michael Endicott, a Puritan craftsman, finds gruesome evidence that the evil Mortons, formerly led by the twins Roderick and Madeline, have returned, and that Dale might be one of them. Dale uncovers treason in the Pentagon's highest covert ranks. He hunts for his enemies before they can murder him and Sherry, a new friend who knows nothing of his magic. Endicott pursues Dale, divided between his duty to capture a rogue soldier and his desire to protect Dale from his would-be assassins. They will discover that the demonic horrors that have corrupted American magic are not bound by family or even death itself. 
Very well done, Ken. And that leads to uh, the aspect of, of, of family spirits that live on. Um, Which are fun to write. <laughs> and frankly, and all my readers, readers love the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. They love, uh, the, they love the sentient, the two things they really like, sentient house mm -hmm. and uh, family ghosts. And there's something, you know, because ghosts are kind of like uh, everyone's crazy. Well, it is a grandfather and a father. And the grandfather in particular is like everyone's crazy living grandfather. <laughs> you know, too old and, well, in his case, dead to care too much what the living think of his opinion. So he speaks his mind. And, uh, and it also, though, draws on, and I, I researched this a bit, this idea of a military tradition in families. Hmm. And um, that was, uh, so I, I read about, you know, some of the books by uh, Truscott, you know, who has thinly veiled uh, fiction yeah. about uh, his family history, Lucian Truscott IV, I okay. think his name is, and he has generals going back generation it, after generation. It tends to run that way, yeah. And so those sort of families fascinated me and mm -hmm. how a tradition would be kept because, of course, with the craft, it runs in families as well. Mm. So you have the two together. Yeah. A military tradition, a tradition of magic, and how those interacted generated a lot of the character and relationships for me. Rick brought the, up the point that the, the, um, the word craft, craft yeah. yeah, a lot of times you're talking about trade craft as an know, espionage, which yeah. is referring to espionage, and then witchcraft. And so you know, it was interesting too that you you have these two parallel threads, you know, in these characters, and I'm sure that was intentional. Oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. That in, in some sense, a lot of the magic they do is just an amplification of the skill set that a good spy or a good soldier, soldier. would mm. need. It's not at the level of the kind of costume superheroes. Nothing wrong yeah. with the costume superheroes, but that's not these guys. These are guys yeah. who can run farther, um, you know, swim underwater longer in general, except yeah. a few. It becomes, <laughs> it becomes abundantly clear in the second book with the introduction of the character Grace Marlowe, yeah. how these gifts can be very specific to a particular way of, well, to, to espionage in particular. She is the first one that you kind of see that her gifts are just so perfect for being a spy, hmm. you know. And that and was a fun character to write. Now, do, yeah. now does that mean the, the gifts will tend that person towards that line of work, or is it a reflexive thing where that line of work brings out that aspect in there? Um, I think in the case of uh, Grace Marlowe in particular, but with others, the, the, the work uh, is called, uh, the gift does call the work in gotcha. some instances. Okay. I mean, uh, theoretically, say an Endicott could be a spy, but their power is the power of command hmm. and authority. And that's not really espionage power. And when no. Endicott finds himself in more of an espionage sort of story, he's kind of exquisitely uncomfortable <laughs> with, <laughs> with that when he's... Interesting. Um, and, uh, but Marlo, of course, that, that was fun to write her, if, if we can get into the left-hand way I, a little let's bit. Let's do that. I mean, and, and you be conscious of what spoilers and what isn't in yeah. terms of what we're giving away. I'd love to know what the, like, the, the magical power set of the individual characters yeah. are a little bit. Well, she's, she was fun to write because I did 
through her what I had done with American history, except with British history and literature. Oh, okay. In particular, British spy yeah. literature, going all the way back to things like the 39 Steps mm -hmm. and Kim and other classics and bringing them up to the present. And there's a little Easter egg. This isn't a spoiler so much as an Easter egg, but it's a fun Easter egg. Her great-grandfather was James B. Marlowe. Hmm. And people, he was working during the World War II and immediately after in the Cold War, and people said his word was his bond. <laughs> and so James Bond is so great. I was going to say a little, little, say a little <laughs> Ian Fleming in the, in the British uh, espionage <laughs> backstory there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but on the other side, her ancestors are formerly enslaved Americans. Right. That, that brings them into the colonial tradition, into the Salem witch trials, because one of her ancestors was Tichuba. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Who and, did get away. Yeah. So there's wow. a relationship in their past, in, in Michael Endicott and Grace Marlowe's past, where their ancestors have had conflict. And that actually feeds into the present day story uh, and their relationship as well. So that's a, an interesting way that... Uh, that Tom brings that sort of past history into the present and makes it relevant. Right, and connects yeah. the dots the, yeah, in a magical way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So did you, what was the kind of research that went into, I mean, did you do a lot of rereading of history or was that something you were always a buff, uh, a history buff? Uh, a big history buff. The, the reading and rereading that I had to do a lot of was um, the American classics. Mm. So Poe and Hawthorne, Hawthorne and, and James Fenimore Cooper. Cooper and just all of the 19th century. Washington Irving. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and yeah. his stuff pops up any place. Well, and also the uh, yellow wallpaper uh, oh, by Gilman. I which, saw uh, that. Which uh, yeah. shows up in, in the wallpaper of the house. Yeah, and one of the early feminist uh, uh, short stories. Feminist, but with an aspect of the uncanny, you know, to mix... Uh, with it, and uh, so I was doing a lot of reading of those and being a magpie, mm. seeing the shiny bits in American history and in these I'll books. I'll take some of that. A little shiny <laughs> here, a little shiny there, and after a while, though, it's like being the main character in A Beautiful Mind, where you know, no, oh my gosh, it all does connect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, which yeah. is fun, but uh, yeah. so you can you can take it too far, and then you have to stop and get the right walk away. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> walk away. I love the fact that all the magical families made a pact with George Washington that they would serve the country, you know, uh, serve the the, the 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 newly formed United States, and that 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 patriotism is a is a strong thread that runs through it. And then we run into Grace Marlowe, who's a Brit. She has the same, you know, for queen and country, yeah. you know, uh, um, uh, foundation to her powers. And what legitimizes their power is the fact that they're using it for for the good of their country. Now, for patriotic whether that's, reasons. Well, yeah, whether that's for good yeah. or not. Well, it's like it's national it's security. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, and but they're true believers. Well, they're one, of, one of the things that struck me when I was doing some research on, on you and your stories was the, uh, the hook of creating a very American fantasy. And, you, and one, of the, one of your inspirations was, you said, was L. Frank Baum, which was yes. really interesting. Yes, and I'm talk, glad we're talking a little bit that. about that. Yeah. So um, I was, uh, when I was starting to write short stories, I did a story about 
L. Frank Baum, and mm -hmm. I did a lot of research, and I looked at what no one looks at, the prologue to his little prologue to The Wizard of Oz, or, um, and he talks about how he's not going to import all those European hobgoblins <laughs> and Brothers Grimm. He is going to create an American fantasy for modern kids. And now, is this like a forward? I'm like, I, yeah, I there's confess. a little forward okay, he, okay. he writes to the... Okay. Uh, um, to if you got a, a a kind of full edition right. of the book, you'll see that there. And I go, well, that's a really interesting idea. Hmm. Um, and I didn't want to do one for kids, but this idea of doing it, what would a distinctly American fantasy look like for adults? What would the mythos be? What traditions, folklore, history, literature would it draw on? Mm -hmm. And and it was, you know, the title, it's both kind of the play off of, you know, the, the, the old craftsman tool and right, exactly. American craftsman. But it was also, it was sort of a response to Neil Gaiman, who I didn't think his American gods mm. were fully... American. American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, so I thought, well, what would fully American look like? I mean, we all come from elsewhere. Yeah. Except Native Americans. Right. And so there is that, you know, that's a part of the tradition. So but what, what does it look like once it's kind of uh, in the shape in, that we the, in the big cauldron? Yeah. And, uh, mm. and what, how does that manifest itself here? And I really had to be strict about focusing on the American system because our history is short. Mm -hmm. And if you start to import too many other traditions, they'll swamp it with their long histories. Right. So right. I couldn't do the British traditions, or I couldn't, right. uh, you know. But uh, your story does take it abroad. Uh, after the first <laughs> book, I'm like, okay, you get the idea yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Now we can. Right. Now we enter the world at large. Yeah. yeah. And see how this system blends with the others. And I was interested to see that uh, you have traveled in Japan, so you, you, you had a scene in Japan. Yeah. Um, Didn't you work in Japan for a while? I, I, I worked in Japan for a year and a half. Okay. And in book two, I won't say who's there or, or what, <laughs> not spoil it, but there's a chapter in that's set in a bar that I, in a building that, that I you, used to frequent. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, and I love that. the, the description is not very different from... So people who've been to that bar that will recognize it. They'll recognize it. That's it. Cool. And, uh, Bar, um, that must the have bar been below. an interesting bar to sit in, based on your description of the, oh, yeah. the people in that bar. Oh, it was there was a certain international seediness there that oh you, you could you could smell it you yeah. know it's in the air. And then um, book three also has uh, some chapters set in Japan, and uh, it visits various other places that. I went to, and I, to be able to draw an experience. Now, of course, you got to go back and research to make sure things are still there. Right. And I did that. And, right. But uh, but otherwise, it was great to use that. It was uh, India shows up. I, I that was my first trip overseas. Um, Istanbul and Greece. That was another trip. Uh, so uh, Italy and the and a villa in Italy are make wow. an appearance. And these are all places that I'd been that I didn't know 
would ever make it into that a would story. Be, well, it's all part of who you are, right. and it filters out onto the page. Yeah. I mean, you haven't specifically mentioned yet the the Middle East, but didn't you? You uh, you. Oh. you have, Oh yeah, I went through at an interesting time. Yeah. Um, so I went to. Um, you were a big millennial. Uh, yes. Apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> I, I did right. an internship at the Center for Millennial Studies, and that's millennial in the sense of the, apocalyptic, not right. in terms of uh, the People generation. People who were born right. in that, right. that, that yeah, era. Yeah. And the. Uh, as part of uh, that year, I did a sort of millennial pilgrimage leading up to uh, the year 2000. And at the end, I went to Israel and Jordan. And in particular, I wanted to be at Jerusalem on New Year's Eve because I was hoping to see some craziness, to be quite <laughs> frank. I was hoping to see people get a little out of hand. Well, well, they have a different uh, calendar as well, a different... Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> calendars are a big problem, but, but they get a lot of people visiting who sure. have these Who'd... apocalyptic aspirations, right. and they have something called Jerusalem Syndrome, which people who stay there too long start to think they're Elijah, or they're John the Baptist, mm. Or they are uh, the Messiah returned. They and really? they are. So yeah, this happens. I haven't heard of that. The, the the government of Israel is not composed of fools. They knew about these sort of people, and they basically rounded them all up before the New Year. Oh wow! All the people and either got to them help or them. sent them back to their home countries. Interesting. So, but there were other people there who were just, you know, they were interested and perhaps hopeful, but not going to do anything too wacky and they, wow. that was interesting as well now this was sort of a midlife crisis kind of thing when you went it was you had been uh, working as a lawyer for quite a while right oh yeah I had been working all through the 90s and saving my money because I knew it wasn't going to last right. <laughs> and you, you weren't going to stick with it for forever and ever yeah. and and I told them uh, well, that's well what what do you want to do? What are your long-term plans? Well, I want to stay here till about 1999, <laughs> and then they go, "We can do that," and so wow. they were they were good in that way. And so the, um, and then after uh, that, I went on the millennial pilgrimage, and the uh, but being a lawyer, it it was. Uh, I was at, well, they sent me to Japan, so there was that experience, and they allowed me to save up the money that I would need to pursue a uh, career as a, as a writer after I did this pilgrimage. <laughs> and now, now I'm back there as a kind of temp employee because, oh, really? of course, really? After you know, after it, a while, it's the a writing, hard road to hoe as a as a writer. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. so I I have a nice position where I can, you know, do some hourly work and yet still have time. You can make your own hours and yeah. Yeah. accommodate that. Believe it or not, Rick and I um, have had acting careers. And, uh, <laughs> being self-employed for a long period of time can definitely wear on you. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and generating your own stresses. marketing and your own, and constantly yes. selling yourself, and 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 all of that can be extremely fatiguing. And yeah. uh, it's uh, it's 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 yeah. nice to have something to fall back on, to have a steady income. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you guys know when I came here, I was. Um, you know, full-time massage therapist. Yeah, Which right. Again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking we're reacting to, to that. You know, people um, need to understand that about creative careers. Cre exactly. And I don't know if they do because they watch Castle on TV right. and think that's the last. And in fact, we're all like 
my analogy, you know, it's always the thing you're not doing that you analogize to. And I think yeah. of indie bands, where an indie band will go out on tour yep. and do this. And when you're in the club and it's a packed club, they're you feel the like heroes you're top of the world. And they're it. <laughs> but when they go home, they got it's a day the, job. They got to pay bills. They, they got to. If they're not the songwriter in yeah. particular, right. that's all the money they're getting from this is yeah. these small clubs that they're and playing. you have some experience in that, too, as I understand it. You played uh, and, and continue to play occasionally in a band? Uh, well, it's a jam group. Uh, oh, okay, the bassist so who plays with me would be very insistent that we're not a band because we don't have a common purpose, but it is <laughs> You just play group. together. We just played together once a week at my But you place. did gigs, though, at one time, right? We Back did in the day. one gig early oh, on. Okay, okay. <laughs> we played the Velvet Lounge in D.C. Oh, okay. And yeah, this yeah, was... Yeah. Uh, Dwayne knows. Yeah. Dwayne was a DJ. So we play... Um, we played the Velvet Lounge. We packed the place. They comped our beer tab. We thought that there was you great. Go. That was as good. <laughs> Top and of the world. And we played <laughs> some people's parties, but mostly we are a group that is, people come and go. I invite anyone who can play. But you got a lot of lawyers in the in the in the group, right? No, oh, not I thought so it was... much. At the beginning, there were um, there were two of us who were three of us who are lawyers. Okay, okay that's true. Okay. But right now, not so much. Not so no, much. Yeah. But are they now writers? <laughs> um, very various assorted sorts of DC sort of professions and uh, they um, people come and go and I just move from instrument to instrument because hmm. I play a lot of things badly <laughs> and when someone comes in who can actually play their instrument move and try to All learn right. it or do whatever so we have um, we have some really talented people now who show up versus the initial group was folks like hey we're approaching midlife Let's all learn instruments, yeah. form a band, and do one gig. Right now, um, it's uh, people who play out with other bands and yeah. things like that, and that makes it uh, that ups. That brings the level. Game. Yeah, yeah. Way, yeah, yeah. Way. yeah. What kind of music music did you play? Um, so it started as a cover band for a band called Guided by Voices, who Which yeah, I had yeah, never yeah, heard yeah. of, and you yeah. know I had to I go checked to, them out. Though, I had to yeah. go to YouTube, and I was like, "What's a good rock band?" Yeah, yeah. Rock band. But, yeah. A good of, rock band that I had never heard. They were out of like Ohio, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I used to work in a music store in the so 90s. And so I you knew, remember I them? I knew about God. Yeah, God of My Voices. And they were yeah. kind of like 90s progressive? Something, that, yeah. Lo-fi would be what they were Garage band. That was the big thing back then, like the garage bands, you know, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we, I knew that the only way I'd get the these my friends to join me in this endeavor was to pick their favorite band they weren't my favorite band but they were their favorite band and so i knew they would stick with it and learn the songs <laughs> and it would be motivated. i had the house so i got the drum kit <laughs> and uh, another guy learned guitar the bassist already knew his instrument and then we got two other guitar um, players. So when you have three guitars, that can hide a multitude of sins. <laughs> <laughs> and so that worked. So we had you know, two, two primary Mario vocalists, me on drums, and we just drilled and drilled the set. And if you do that for six months, you could get a certain amount of polish. Yeah, 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 yeah. as much as Guided by Voices ever had <laughs> back then. And so it was kind of ideal from that perspective well, as well. That's so cool to have those, you those kind of in the book too. 
There's oh, really? Are they, are oh, they yeah, referenced they're drag. To the, Oh, yeah. They're listening. They, a song comes on the radio. Like, and, by voice. Well, and I thought that was appropriate for an, a you know sort of a cult magical thing that a band would be called Guided by Voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, right? I, thought, I thought you might have made it up. That's why I looked it up. I was like, is that really a band? It and sounds sure thematically enough, it appropriate. Yeah. 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 Well, let's t- let's steer back to uh, maybe setting up one of these scenes. Sure. Um, now, we, we, you selected a, a one scene just for the inherent drama in it, yeah. and then another scene that is largely a monologue that deals with thematic issues. Yeah, I'd, which, say, I'd say play the, the, the one that has um, uh, Barbara in it. Okay. The, Do you want to set I, it I up think, in any way? Yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, you'll appreciate this, Tom, because of the, the gothic nature of the scene. It's, it's kind of, it, you'll see what I mean. Ooh, let's uh, see if this works. At the door, I felt the knob. Death was near, but not mine. Not yet. Lightning crashed, illuminating Hutchinson's face. Jesus, Hutch! What took you so long? Come in! Hutch trailed silvery water. Her hand was wet and stone cold. She was not well. I understand you've been trying to unearth me. I've had the Lincoln dreams, and Endicott has been harassing me. Where have you been? I was working on your case. Then I got distracted. I need to tell you what I've found. You found something. Then I'm not crazy. Crazy or not, someone is trying to kill you. Why me? Dale, it's not just you. I know. I saw it. They're going for the families. Our families. But who are these assassins? I don't know. And I don't know why. It could be to undermine the craft defense. It could be a revenge thing. It could be... something else. Dale, you know how my family and I value loyalty. So it hurts like hell to say this, but... But I can't trust my own government. No. No, you can't. Even if they're not actively against you. At best, the brass fears disclosure of the craft militant, and they'd rather sacrifice you and a lot of craftsmen than risk it. And at worst? At worst, something's rotten on the inside. You should come with me. We should leave. No. Then why are you telling me all this? But my heart could guess why. How do you know this? Because I'm dead. Shit. I'm sorry, Hutch. Who did it? I don't know. Dale, I can't find my body. I've got nowhere to go. I don't even know how I got here. Can't find her body? Only serious power could hide a body from its spirit. Hutch? Was it Sphinx? Whoever they are, don't let them kill you. I release you from your oath to me. Use the craft. Get them. Hutchinson started to fade. Hutch, don't go. But she was gone. Don't let them kill you. I spoke to the empty air. How the hell am I going to do that? Speaking Oh my gosh. Is that pretty cool? Oh, is that wild man. Here it is. I, I, you know, have something out of your head like that. <laughs> now, how, how long did it take you to know where we were in the story? Did oh, you, instantly. Right away? Oh, and you felt the, the doorknob. Or oh, that's <laughs> yeah, 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 no. I, I, that's a nice reveal. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Wow, I get chills and I, I know it. <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. And that's Barbara awesome. Pennellini working with you in yes. that scene, right? Yeah. Which is just perfect for uh, people to know she comes from this sort of rural New England yeah. uh, background, like uh, as her family just the secret line that yeah. survived. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's their background. Yeah, and the and so thing. she sounds like uh, she's basically, as uh, described, the character initially described. Uh, Kate Hepburn as a triathlete. <laughs> well, it was funny too because um, I got interested in the whole backstory of uh, Anne Hutchinson, you know, who's you know uh, purportedly the ancestor of this character, and so I sent um, uh, Barbara the research that I'd done. Just it, it really didn't, it wasn't that germane to her playing of the character. But um, it was interesting to me, so I passed it on to her. And when she came in to record, she said, you know what? I got so interested in Dan Hutchinson, I started reading more about it, too. <laughs> that's, that's an actor's instinct, to, to yeah, want to yeah, know yeah. the backstory. Because the it was yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully some of the people that listen to um, your story with graphic audio, you know, it might pique their interest in checking out some Poe, some Hawthorne. Uh, looking into the Salem witch trials or, or some of these other American historical right. incidents. You and know. this this might also satisfy the tastes of a listener for historical fiction, even though it's fantastic and it's and it's fantasy. And uh, there's enough touchstones in real American history that 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 uh, that might you know whet someone's appetite for that yeah. kind of thing. Similar similar to American Gods. And, and you know, yeah. we referenced that, you know, because it, it's got that fantastical element, but there's a lot of historical information being shared, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and philosophies of the culture. You know, yeah. as this is something that in science fiction and fantasy, I am a big fan of those books that give you some real world that are stuff grounded, that are grounded, yeah. that that make you want to learn more about a particular science mm -hmm. or history or cultural thing or folklore yeah. or any of that. Um, and that uh, that was a way, a kind of nonlinear way that I felt like I learned a lot as a kid mm -hmm. was reading the better works of science fiction and fantasy and sure. going, but what's behind this? What's the this? basis of that? Where, where are the, yeah, I, the, when I was a teen and I read uh, the Dune series, I sure. had no idea that Frank Herbert was teaching me Arabic. Yes. Real, exactly. It's all Arabic. It's <laughs> Wadib means little mouse. I mean, it's all Arabic. You know, so you, you talk to a uh, to uh, the, a lot of uh, Arab uh, Americans who read that book, and they thought it was the only science fiction that spoke to their ancestry and their lineage, even though it technically was not. Mm -hmm. You know, you come, uh, but yeah. Uh, it, even the wildest fantasy is grounded in in something earthly and something that 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 if, that's from their own lives and their own environment and experience, and that's where the fun is is is, is stretching, you know, the imagination. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about ghosts, if you would, because we we deal with uh, Barbara's yeah. that immediately uh, turned into a ghost. Apparently, in that scene, that's a, a reveal there. Um, but there's something about the mythos that the reason a ghost stays on the earthly plane is because they're they're locked in a traumatic loop of some kind, and it seemed that you incorporate that in your premise that they can't move beyond whatever the family feud is or whatever the well, it's more that they're it's not necessarily uh, the sort of 
the the trauma unfinished business story, but it is the aspect that they are uh, kind of recordings that they aren't capable. You know, they're like a hologram. They're they're right. not capable so they're of moving on mentally versus. Um, you know, so who they didn't so like they, during life and such. It takes a lot to get them to change. Okay. Um, and moving on, usually they just fade over time. Right. A longer time. And, you know, there are no, well, that most, for the most part, the general rule is they aren't any four century old ghosts okay, or so. You know, okay. only mm -hmm. a couple centuries. Um, and they just fade. But every now and then, one of them wants to, like, say, you know, I'm done on replay mode. Please just, I, I want to right. go on to whatever it is. Whatever's now. next. Yeah. Whatever's next. Yeah. And so, so this explains a certain, there's, you know, whatever your relationship was with other people who have become ghosts mm -hmm. kind of gets locked in that moment of time. Interesting. Whatever... Uh, who who you didn't like, who you didn't trust, or who you liked and who you trusted, and what information you can give, it's not going to be typically up to date. You're going to be a good source of history, but not. So they, a good they can't. They're not really observers of of anything. They're 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 in their end. but they but they you can interact with them. Or well, or and Dale can like feel them. I mean, yeah, he. Feel them. Okay. It's it, the the the. Uh, you also seem to um, establish that. Your own family's ghosts are close to you and are available to you, yeah. and you can see them, and they can see you, or it can speak to you. Mm. But someone else who might be a magic practitioner cannot see your ghosts. They cannot see your family's ghosts. Uh, okay. They have, a, you know, that's something you can reach into. Um, and um, it's interesting too, you know, when you're talking about those old animosities, because when we meet Grace Marlowe and she and Michael Endicott are having their adventure in the second book. We actually have a scene where the echoes of some of their, you know, this, they actually go back like three or 400 years though because yeah. we see um, uh, ghosts that were involved in the slave trade, yeah. you know, and um, members of his family that actually were involved in the slave trade and members of her family that were actually slaves yes. that mm. they actually bought and sold. And that becomes part of Michael and Grace's story as well. So that was, that was an interesting scene. And, and the idea of how the sort of physical interaction with ghosts, some of that actually came from a family member who will remain anonymous, oh, told me a story about one time playing pool one night in a bar with a, a close friend and then only finding out Later, that that friend had been dead for weeks. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's like the scene when he's talking that's, to uh, that's to, pretty classic. To, to, to Hutch, uh, you know, and doesn't know until doesn't know until dangerous. she tells yeah. him. Oh God! I mean, on some level, maybe he did, you know. Yeah. Because, but there's yeah, yeah, there's a couple stories in in, in in the book where someone talks about the fact that it, you know, uh, Dale in particular has that problem of not knowing that not knowing who's dead, dead who's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he's so sensitive. I mean, he, they, they seem so, so tangible and so real to him. Um, they just, they just show up as a presence that he recognizes as. So what, let's talk a little bit, um, what is the conflict 
in in these stories. You talk there's a, there's something called the left hand, which represents what we would consider black the, magic, the dark yeah. side, the yeah. evil. Um, the Sith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because Rick and I were talking about, um, you know, we work with another author, Mike Cole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Mike also deals with the military and magic. Yes, yes. You know? And what, um, the, what the different approaches are. we were saying, well, what's the difference between what Mike's doing and, and what Tom's doing? And, and this is just, you know, off the top of my head, but I was sort of looking at Mike's work and I was like, you know, he has a lot, a lot of his work has to do with um, the individual versus authority, you know, and right, sort of like, right. you know, yeah, you, you're right about yeah, that, that, yeah. that conflict of of the freedom of the individual versus, you know, uh, the the construct of society and what society wants. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and for me, I almost feel like the two protagonists, uh, uh, Michael Endicott and Dale Morton, almost represent different aspects of one psyche. Oh. You know that there, there there seems to be something about well because you know you've got the, the the sort of paganistic roots of one you've got the very puritanical roots of the other and they're both magic wielders but they have a sort of different way of expressing who they are in the world and at times they both seem to be uh, the right approach but not always. Sometimes this is the better approach, you know, and, and sometimes this is the better approach. So it seems like it, it's more about personal psychology than it is about um, a, 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 a conflict with authority. Well, first I'm going to say one thing right off the bat, which is I'm, you know, very grateful that Mike Cole broke the, the military the fantasy <laughs> broke the ground in this because, you know, I had been trying to like shop American craftsmen around oh, for okay. a while and in fact we had met when we were both like starting still out, uh, yeah. starting out you know on our way to a yeah. world fantasy convention or something yeah, yeah. so I'm a big fan of his and I'm you know very grateful that he was able to do that and I would say in terms of the biggest difference it's in the kind of DNA of the thing and that magic just starts in the modern era with him so right. there's so the with mine I think it's the history that mm -hmm. my you know that there's his is very much modern going forward right and mine is has a lot of looking backward in history in it um, with the two characters in terms of the character and psychology I would I would bring it out even further that on the microcosm you have those two and forming a complete psyche and that was, in a, you know, in an optimistic mode of writing, that was my view of America. Mm. Mm. That you have these, this separated psyche of different values. Two people of extremely different values can come together. And if there's a moral to the first book, that's basically the moral of it. That two that people... That you can unite under a common cause? This is, this is the perfect time to play the other clip. Oh, okay. Actually. And you'll see why, uh, Tom. Because right, this is very much your words on this subject. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's do that then. Thank you, Dale. For too many things. Consider it a down payment. I didn't respect how difficult it was for your family to fight against the left-hand temptations. No one did. It's Michael, right? Nah. Mike sounds better. About left-hand power... 
I think it's easier for me, living with the cautionary tales. But yes, I know better than most that every family can have a left hand. Well, there's another thing. I've been too narrow with God. Okay, I'll bite. Narrow? You? Funny. What I mean is, I believe that all this power we use, whether for good or ill, ultimately comes from God. So I can't draw easy distinctions among its practitioners. But you know what I'll say, right? Yep. You'll say it's all nature. That we're the ones who make it good or evil. Yep. But that also means that I can't draw easy distinctions among practitioners either. Mm. I'll say it just once. You two are a part of God's plan. This was Sphinx's plan. Her counterplan to Chimera's schemes. And Sphinx is dead. To Sphinx. To Sphinx. I shook my head. Shit. You're too good. I give up. It doesn't take Farsight to see why you're here. You want a reason we're going to permanently cease hostilities. And hell, maybe despite all this history, we are. You want a reason besides the fact that we're outstanding soldiers and killers, that Hutch was our mom and pop, and that you know how to drink a beer. But you know what that real reason is. It ain't ever gonna be theological. It's this country. It makes us all family in the end. But we, the Magi, feel that tie before everyone else. Because we're the wise guys. So, we'll be okay. Okay? Okay. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. Right? That's yeah. exactly. So, and yeah, and that was uh, that was kind of the, the vision of it. If there was an animating idea of kind of, uh, and and yeah, that's that's in the microcosm of how the two characters relate. But it's also a bigger picture. It's also how you know. Ideally, we should all be relating. Right. Yeah. right. And so these magic users, magic wielders, are refer to themselves as the Magi. Is that what I inferred from that little it, monologue? There's, it starts at the beginning. You know, each one is a magus, and they right. are the you know plural is the Magi. Sure. And uh, those uh, and he even says Dale says at the beginning that his code name is Caspar. Which oh, is right. one, one of the one three, of the three wise, men. Yeah. wise men, and he says that um, th this is a running gag through the series where people like uh, governments and others sometimes pick pretty bad kryptonyms. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, kryptonyms that they shouldn't be picking. <laughs> they should get a random word generator right. and pick that. But no, sometimes they it's can't like resist. Personal passwords that people pick something that yeah, actually kind of gives it away. Yeah. And well, he picked one. That uh, gave it away, and it wasn't Casper the friendly ghost. It was Caspar <laughs> the Magi, and so he, uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. That's cool. So you uh, uh, talk a little bit about the left hand. Uh, oh yeah, we, we didn't really get to the, no. the why they're evil. Yeah. Um, we and so you see, they represent a kind of defiance of the fundamental order of the world. Which is the bounds of mortality. You know, the bounds of mortality is the big one. Hmm. Um, but they also are, and so they will do anything to try to beat death. Hmm. And that usually means 
ends up meaning killing a whole lot of other people. Sure. It doesn't necessarily start that way, as one <laughs> character points out, but in the end, it usually means but, killing but, a lot. And well, then if you're going to reanimate corpses, you got to have corpses to start with. There you yeah. go. And sometimes oh, you have so to that's, that's the kind of death cheating we're talking about? In, so in part, yeah. 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 Or they're, they're trying to make bodies. They're psychic vampires as well. They draw on the energy of others. They possess others. Hmm, they... They do crimes, you know, that are against the kind of the spirit of the earth. Okay. Fundamentally, and they, um, so th- they'll do things, you know, horrible things to children. Or they have no moral right, limits n- in this pursuit right. of a uh, unending life. And even, you know, once they. Uh, even have a stab at long life extension, then they want more power to defend the longer life because sure. they know everyone's going to be coming after them to stop them doing what they're doing. It, so it, it just goes end. on. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. end for them. Um, Is it a coincidence uh, that uh, Roderick and Voldemort are both three-syllable words. <laughs> no, that is a coincidence because Roderick comes right out of Poe along with his sister. Oh, sure. They are, but they're, they, but they're, they're definitely the, the same kind of oh, yeah. self-serving evil you know, oh, that yeah. just wants who, to perpetuate there. Who is the one, you know, the they do speak his name, but they don't like to invoke him, you know, yeah, that yeah. that sort of character from the past. Well, actually, yeah, because he's precog, because he, I mean, we have this... One of the magical gifts that some people have is the ability to see possible futures. Right. And Roderick, who's the big bad guy in this book, is a precog as well. Hmm. And so sometimes by invoking his name, yeah, you kind of are drawing attention, drawing attention to yourself that he could then see you. He could, yeah, you. Oh. Yeah. So there's a part to the book uh, about. Uh, more in the second book. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, um, Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. To not have Roderick know what you're doing, you kind of have to almost do it without thought. Yeah. Right. Because mm. if you put too much attention to it, it will bring his he'll, attention he'll, to he'll, it. His radar goes if up. He, if, he's, yeah, if he's kind of trying to... Antennae, the yeah. psychic, supernatural antennae. Yeah. So does the left hand go back to the, the, the colonial days? or It goes back further. further it goes all that. the way back. Now, some cultures have incorporated life extension in a more benign way, right. and they find that out as they go around the globe, that some other, you know, secret services and cultures aren't that hung up about left-hand way, way dabbling as long as it's within certain limits. Right. But in the, in the West, it goes back all the way. Um, some of the Greek myths, it turns out, oh, okay. in my world, are cautionary tales about people who are trying to do left-handed tricks and committing horrible crimes in the process. So, so this this goes back to the beginnings of civilization and yes. be, and, and before probably before yeah before hist- prehistory prehistory before I, people were writing it down and yeah. only had the tales. I know there's a society of like red-headed people. I found out at some point in my life. So <laughs> there's surely a society of like left-handed people. And I'm oh, yes. Yes. I'm expecting that you will probably, if you haven't already gotten some hate <laughs> about, about the whole sinister. <laughs> the whole thing about <laughs> the, the left hand being the sinister hand, the, the sinister the, and wrong, and that yeah. there's a whole there's a the, yeah. I don't know the whole history of that, but there is a um, well, and and in the benign philosophical yet, history. Oh yeah, left oh yeah. Being left being bad. <laughs> well, well I Latin have a left-handed left brother, so yeah. I, I yeah. got some <laughs> <laughs> from him. 
But yeah, of course, I, yeah, I don't mean the literal, you know, no, favor. Of course, of course not. But they have, um, it, it does show up, though, in things like um, uh, uh, t- the Tantra mm. in the Eastern traditions is called the left-hand path. So that's where I got it from originally, that within mm. spiritual paths, there are left-hand paths choices, that do not take up the kind of upright aestheticism of the you know normal way and in fact indulge in the various sins in a very focused way to mm. achieve their spiritual thing. So that's part of it. The other aspect of left-handedness that I didn't realize but someone told me as I was writing it, you know, one of my readers uh, of, in serial form as right, it right. was coming out, pointed out that of course, the left hand refers to the illegitimate or lesser sons in a genealogy. Oh, and the yeah. in the Mortons, that's very literally the, the case. case that yeah. they, you know, one, the, the eldest lineage went on to found the right hand orthodox, if you will, Mortons. Yeah. And the left hand were this other lineage who... Uh, that's wild. So it, 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 it all connects, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, now you alluded to, uh, you, you know, every author, I think, has, has their, uh, their beta testers, their, their readers. But you've, you've actually, you've worked in a number of workshops where you've, where you've did, was this material workshopped a lot? And well, it went through, I had a, I, I have, although I've been on sabbatical from them lately, mm. a local writing group. They don't meet too far from here a lot okay. of the time, actually. Uh, and they, they, they go by the writer's group from hell. <laughs> and, so the, uh, and they were a great motivator in terms of when I would set out to do a novel, I would have to get them a chunk every month. And it would have to be a coherent chunk, and it would be in the range of, say, 8,000 to 10,000 words. So it's a little mini deadline. A little mini deadline. And, of course, being a writer, having structure, having a deadline is crucial. Because there are so many things. Social media, the the sun is out, whatever you would rather be doing than starting the hard work of getting on the page again. But, I mean, once you're doing it, you go, you don't want to go out. You get some momentum, yeah. Getting started. And so having that deadline, I would have to submit something that they could read and critique. So it had to be somewhat coherent and right. going in the right direction. Right. And so you do that for a year of months, and you have a novel. <laughs> and that's how it would work. And, that's fantastic. Uh, that is great. And it was, so it was great. And they were uh, great readers, and they would, um, you know, both critique it the line edit level, but also the big picture of, you know, I get into some esoterica and sure. it's like, Tom, we don't get this. Yeah. You need to explain, explain more. Where this, yeah. I know you're trying to avoid an exposition dump or whatever, yeah. but you better explain this. That's <laughs> one of the hardest things in writing in general is keeping track of what you know and 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 what you've put down on, on the page and whether you've given the the reader or the listener enough information to be with you 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 know where you're going and what you mean to say but have you actually told the reader that yes. and that's the only way to know that is to, is to get that kind of feedback I think, I think listeners will find that Tom is very consistent in what he tells you and then what falls from that and it matches up if you pay attention uh, yeah you will understand what's going on 
That's awesome. Because it, it's all there. Now, talk a little bit about the difference between the, I imagine, much more leisurely process, even with these mini deadlines of writing the first book, uh, as opposed to selling that first book and then having to write a second well, so book. So see, here's my question, actually, you know, related to that is, what was the whole arc that you saw? Did you see the arc of the trilogy, or That's did you just see question. the arc of the first book? Well, uh, th 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 those both go together. I mean, <laughs> so, so to give you give you the story, so I finished the book in maybe back in two thousand eight. Wow, or so, and so I had a finished book then that I was starting to shop around, mm. and it took a while. First, I had to find an agent for it. Yeah. That takes a long time, folks. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you've submitted 50 queries, you've just gotten started. <laughs> Got an agent, finally, and uh, and then uh, found uh, someone. It went to Tor, among others, mm -hmm. and I knew the editor at Tor, Claire Eddy, already, and sh she looked at it, and uh, but I had only, I have a discipline to step back for a moment where when I write a book and it could be a series, I only write the first book and maybe put on the sort of slingshotty ending that could, could go lead somewhere. somewhere. It could go somewhere, but I just, I wrote three whole books before American Craftsman sold. That was like the second of three very different novels, different universes. Trying different things. And because if you aren't if you don't sell that first one then all the development you're doing all the thinking that's not going to go anywhere yeah, right. yeah. so i you know if stuff would occur to me for the future i'd jot it down as a note right but i would not develop it i would be at work on the next thing mm -hmm. and so claire gets book 1 and you know that takes a little bit, but after a bit, she indicates she's interested, and I go to my agent. I go, well, you know, make sure she knows that it, it is a standalone, but it could go on to another book. Yeah. And she came back, and this was a lot like the response Peter Jackson finally got with Lord of the Rings. He said, she came back with, well, why not three? <laughs> you know, if, if you remember, he had been driven down to two, and then right. one movie, and the New Line came back to him and said, well, why not three why books? Not, yeah, 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 why right. not three movies? And she came back with, why not three? Well, and that was great news. Mm. But I had not done anything further on book two and book three. Right. And there was now a deadline. <laughs> and there was also stuff to do with the revision of book one, of course, and yeah, I was other things about to that, do. Especially if you had finished it years earlier. Yeah, so she's, but her edits all made sense. She was a great editor to work with. Mm. So there wasn't, everything was logical of, yes, I do need to do that. And there was probably a little voice in the back of my head saying that probably needed to be done. So that was grand. But then I had to start, you know, kind of, okay, let's go. Where's, Where does it go, go now? Where does it go now? I did book two and got that done in a year hmm. and met the deadline on that. And then... I don't know how much we want to get into it. How much do you have time to get into the C word chapter of my life? The recent, the unpleasantness. Oh. oh yes. Oh. So. Uh, I got to say, you've already piqued my curiosity. Yeah, yeah, um, I got no problem with that. If you want to talk well, about Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm working I mean, on book two. Book two is, has a lot of cancer images mm. in it. It has a lot of head and neck cancer 
oh, images oh, in really? it. Oh, really? Um, I didn't really know that until I looked back later when I was diagnosed, right? As book one came out, I'm at a high point of my life. My first novel is out. I've had the big book party, and I get my cancer diagnosis. Oh, holy crap. And <laughs> the day I get it was on a kind of a situation... Much like we're sitting here now, where I was uh, up with Jim Freund up at WBAI, who does the Hour of the Wolf program. Oh, and yeah. oh, okay. and yeah. after I got the diagnosis, I had to go on to a radio interview like this and act all cheery. Yeah. Because, uh, and it had spread to the lymph nodes in oh, my neck. Good. So I don't know about you guys, but I grew up with Brian's song yeah. and yeah, Death yeah, Be yeah. Not Proud. So you hear cancer and lymph nodes yeah. and the violin swell. And, you and start tying up loose ends. Yeah. yeah. But so I, you know, I, I had to tell the agent. I had to tell Claire, of course. They were very understanding. Yeah. Because, and I went through treatment, in fact. I'm cured. I mean, wow. Well, then hey, that's really yes. not yeah. remission, but they say it's gone. It's gone, yeah. which is Star Trek technology, but I gotta say medieval unpleasantness. Yeah. So you don't not yeah. something yeah. really hard on it. And so you must have caught uh, it fairly early. I would think. Well, it's yeah. with the it neck. The lymph. Yeah, I mean, I there was yeah, a big yeah, lump on my neck, but but this is literally a bottleneck. The neck is a bottleneck, <laughs> and so and you get in there with the current technology, and it just cooks it in sight. No no surgery. Well, that is encouraging to hear. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and so that was that was great. I'm cured. But during so, that time, so I was you were writing it while you knew. No, no, he's no. saying that he was no. He that it was, was it. there was no writing going on. And during okay. that, okay. Yeah. And then it took a while afterwards where I could recover both the ability to intake and put out narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure. I was right watching some. When I could watch anything, it was just terrible pablum for kids. I mean, I I was just. Wow. So I I get back and I write the third book and. I think it's, you know, I thought I was going to have to be writing it like Ulysses S. Grant wrote his memoirs, which was, you know, dying of throat cancer yeah, at the end yeah. and finishing up just as he finished up. But no, I was, I was back, um, and I learned some things about PTSD and such that mm. I perhaps didn't have a good insight as I should. I had an intellectual See, insight, but now I had... Nothing like first-hand experience. And uh, some... And there are some dark aspects to that third book that probably owe something to coming out of that, as, as joyful as it was to come out of it. Yeah. There's, um, and there's a little bit where I kind of break the fourth wall at the end of it and say, and some of the story came from the, you know, the sort of fever dreams of someone in the middle of radiation and chemo, wow. you know, and that's... Wow. Uh, so that's good stuff. That's meaty <laughs> humanity. That's that's. Yeah, I mean, that's, so you know, that was. You don't need to apologize for darkness and things and and a. And, a, and it yeah it just all went in. There. I don't know if I'll ever do a literal thing based on that experience, but it it clearly entered into the third book. But so that delayed. You'll you'll notice if you look at the years that they're you know, American Craftsman is uh, fourteen and then. Uh, 
2015 is Left Hand Way, and then it's 2017 17, right? yeah. for uh, Warcraft, and that's that's See, why. But as authors <laughs> go, that's not that long. No, you know, it's no, not. It you felt long to me. <laughs> and I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. And but. I like to be on. Right. Time, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I like. I I, I come out of a, a profession that you know time was money in the law profession, and so sure. I I had a very distinct view of what it meant to be a professional when I was right when I am a writer. As but well. I would say the value of that life experience as a writer yeah. is incalculable. I mean, to to uh, to me that makes it even more interesting from a purely uh, uh, from a from a an audience perspective. To, to know that that kind of substance is in it, um, is, it gives it an extra depth, I, I yeah. would say. I mean, the scary stuff is the stuff that I wrote before I knew in the left-hand way, because they there, tell me... It was there subconsciously? It, it could have been, uh, you know, that they say the body yeah. sends little messages to ourselves of, you know, Tom, something's not right, but you're not getting the message. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and the doctors say... You know, it seemed very abrupt to me when I found it, but mm. all the doctors said, no, Tom, this has been going on for months. You're oh just seeing it now. Yeah. And so that those months would have been all the months that I was sitting there writing the left-hand way and, and talking about somebody's head being hollowed out with, you know, evil craft and <laughs> such. That was... Uh, that's... that's yeah, yeah, so a little uncanny. Um, a little bit. I mean... Did, have you guys read uh, Grant Morrison's uh, The Invisibles? No, I back have in the day. not. I've read so a lot of Grant in, Morrison, but not The Invisibles. He, uh, you know, I, I thought, I think of it like he did, where he thought he experienced an illness, so where he kind of wrote himself into it, it and then had to write himself out of it. Oh, now, oh, I'm not a magical thinker. I don't believe in that sort of thing, but I do oh, believe he, in he the very subconscious. Much is. He, he very, very much is. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was certainly an image that was in my mind about it. But I do believe that the body has a wisdom that we're not always fully conscious of. Oh, well, there's a lot of evidence for that, uh, I would yeah, say. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a great discussion uh, about literature and life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for sharing that, Tom. That's, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's not an well, easy the, thing to talk about. Well, people, and, and you become, you find out that after you're in the club, the yeah, right. And you have the C card to play. Every yeah. But you have, um, then, you know, you, you have this pay it forward thing where people right. now come to me knowing I've been through that. And Tom, I've just had my diagnosis and right. I'm so scared. Yeah. You know, the, and you have to kind of talk to them about, yes, you will be an existential dread for X number of weeks. And then you'll <laughs> get your treatment plan and the dread will... Uh, give way to incredible discomfort and unpleasantness instead so you won't have time you'll be following instructions and you won't have as much time to be dread and wow. then this will happen right. yeah. you know and just just not to know that there's a of, yeah. path and you're not going to be in this necessarily in the state of fear for you know the duration. Yeah, so. you almost can't be. And, yeah. and and the PTSD aspect of it is was interesting They say to that me. one has. I mean, I, what I experienced was very mild and not. On, but it was had the aspect of. Um, well, like there would be construction noises outside sure. where I work, 
and those wouldn't startle me, but I would start thinking there's a bit in Goethe's Faust where he's hearing the noises outside and thinking, oh, they're building my dam or building this structure. And it's the demons building his coffin. <laughs> and that's kind of where my head would go when yeah. I would hear construction noises outside for a few months. And that was like, that's not my normal thought process. No. That is a little different. So that, yeah. And they say it's also that head and necks, for various reasons of the cancers, has a higher tendency to that sort of post stuff and one reason one for me a minor part but for some major is you wear this mask while you're being mm. radiated right. and apparently the confinement of that deals uh, the a more in, the more in fear of burial coming to play claustrophobia you know? yeah 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 taphophobia so, yeah uh, something that the morton family deals with yeah wow. one of their fears yeah and boy, yeah. and that's real life experience <laughs> built into yeah. that. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, right after the fact, though, again. <laughs> so yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but now, if you're coming out of that Poe tradition, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that is in Poe. Yeah. 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 Premature burial and yeah. all yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. I mind him so heavily. I hope he doesn't mind. Oh, I, no, I think <laughs> he'll be proud from all uh, indications. Uh, well, uh, Let's let's turn this on and let's finish on an upbeat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is yeah. a happy ending. It is you know? a happy. Yeah, yeah. I am I am cured. You're, you're cured and available. You know, you're frankly, if readers, if listeners want to email me and go, yeah, you know, I heard about the cancer thing. Please, you know, email me about that. Do you want to uh, share some of your social? Uh, yeah, media? I will. I will. Is so uh, I am. Pretty easily findable on Facebook because I got the Tom Doyle name right early on. So if you searched Tom Doyle and now there is a, we have found unfortunately there's another Tom. Uh, there Doyle are a author. few yeah. Tom Doyle. Yeah. Okay, but, let me distinguish. Even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. There are a couple. There are two other Tom Doyle authors. I'm not those. I'm not the one who writes about Paul McCartney and music, <laughs> and I'm not the one who writes about uh, prophecy in the Middle East. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, the one I saw, he's like a like a sort of a Christian writer. A that, fundamentalist. You know, fundamental, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Probably, yeah. you know, into the whole pre-millennialist sort mm. of thing. Yeah, um, you have some kind of crossover material. Oh, well, yeah. That I mean, I have confusion. an interest. In, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I am science fiction and fantasy Tom Doyle on Facebook. I am T-M-D-O-Y-L-E-2 handle on Twitter. And uh, you can find my website, and that has my contact email, right. uh, either at tomdoyleauthor.com or tomdoylewriter.com. I got both of you those. You got it covered. I got it covered. <laughs> so, and you can find me, and I love to talk to listeners about the work, about life experience. Um, you know, it's all fun for me. That's, that's why I do it, to have listeners yeah. and readers and uh, be able to you know, talk about the things that interest us. I found him to be a good correspondent when I had questions. That's good. He, he oh, yeah. Back yeah. And yeah. That goes a long way. Me and <laughs> yep. Tom, we're pretty much like uh, okay. pen pals. I know we, Before we, we wrap, you yeah, talk about ending on a happy note, but yeah. I want our listeners to know this is doomsday stuff. It's a, <laughs> so we're dealing with this apocalypse. This is the apocalypse we're talking about here, guys. It's true. So we just, just touched just a little know, bit on your, your, your boy Ken Jackson is, 
interested in the dark stuff. This <laughs> has plenty of elements of that. But with humor. Uh, with humor. humor. <laughs> gotta have humor. Gotta have humor. Oh, no, please. Oh, we're, we're yeah. beyond humor here, believe yeah. me. Dark with humor is, like, excellent. That's So, Tom, I know you, you're pretty much in semi, I don't want to say retirement, but you're kind of... As a lawyer, you mean? Well, not. I mean, just oh. writing. I mean, you are. Do you, you have a break? That's coming oh up no, I have that, something that's yeah. uh, that's out there uh, right now, and um, it is. And if people want to get the sense of what world it draws on, it draws from my first uh, professional short story uh, sale called Crossing Borders hmm. um, from way back when, and it's a novel in that world. I will say that the short story. Just as a warner, warning to listeners and readers, that it is a uh, not safe for work story. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, right. so yeah. of that, just <laughs> slap the label on that that part of it. But I have done uh, a novel in particular. The question uh, my agent put to me was, you know, so after you know what you've been through and doing, you know, what's the one book you really want to get out there? And it was this book. So okay. I took the time, brought it up to my skill set. Brought the politics up to date. It was written back in you know yeah. the early 2000s, so it needed some <laughs> of that. Have but, uh, things have changed, and it it had some political satire on it that needed to be to updated. And uh, but it is far future twisted space opera. Is it out now or is it coming no? Out? The short story is out. Okay, uh, but the novel for that is uh, with a bunch of publishers right now. Okay. We'll see. Fingers and we'll crossed. We'll see. Fingers yeah. crossed. And you know, but it is a book I felt very, uh, it, it's a whole nother aspect of my vision. Mm. Um, and if you want dark with humor, <laughs> you will get dark okay. cup of tea. All right. <laughs> yes. That's, That's good awesome. to know. That's what I like. Well, anything else? Is there anything that you would like to bring up other than that we feel we haven't covered? No, I think we've, we've fully covered the book. On, on the website, by the way, you will find... Uh, Blog entries and sh all my short, a lot of my short work is there is on there? audio, me reading. Oh, yeah. Or, I saw or, some of that. Because I, yeah. and I'm a big listener, and so I like, I am really passionate about audio, and so I'm very happy about graphic audio. That's great. Doing these that's books great. because that's, and so I've done sort of podcast readings of my short fiction, and there are links to where the short fiction appears if you want the text. And so, in, you know, when you're done with the trilogy and you're looking for, for more of my work, uh, and it's not just fantasy, it's science fiction near future, science fiction far future, like the Blues Brothers, they say in the Blues Brothers movies, I do both kinds, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. And uh, so, uh, so look it up and, uh, yeah, be in, be in touch, please, because I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. Awesome. I just want to say before uh, we wrap up that, that, that we all appreciate authors who actually read their material out loud because you can tell in the writing it makes a huge difference because there are a lot of authors that never really think about how the words on the page are going to sound when they're spoken. Mm. Uh, it, but we find out. We yeah. find out. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, thanks again, Tom. Well, uh, thank you so much. It and, it's yeah. been fun. Thank you. Thank you in the room so much. Thanks to Graphic Audio because, uh, I, as I say, I love to listen. And so hearing my work, some authors I yeah. know can't, yeah. they don't yeah, like it. They don't like hearing their uh, Because stuff. they have their own preconceptions. And I think it's a whole nother 
art form and it's like hearing somebody else's take on my universe yeah. and that for me yeah. is fun yeah. so, so you're our kind of author yeah, <laughs> yeah. one of the best compliments i ever got was from stephen kent um we did a series uh, of his books called rogue clone ah. and um i played the, the the title character in that and he said that when he first started listening to it you know the way that i voiced the character was not consistent with the way he had heard it in his head. Um, but then it grew on him, and he said by the time he got to the end of the series, when he thought of the character, he heard my voice. Oh, <laughs> you know, and then oh, moving yeah. forward, like he would think, he would hear my voice when he was thinking of the character. I was like, wow, that's, that's an yeah. We get problem. that from a lot of authors whose awesome. stories yeah. aren't finished yet. You know, that we'll, 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 they'll be like in the middle of writing, and once they've heard our stuff, then they start to hear the, oh, the yeah. voices as they write, which yeah. is fascinating. I think Peter Brett made a comment Peter about Brett. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Well, and that's cool for us to have yeah, a kind of an influence. It's, it's yeah, pretty sweet. Well, uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, yep. Dwayne. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, Rick. And and, uh, and I should you. say that. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. We, by the time um, Graphic Audio Nation listens to this podcast, American Craftsman One will be out. Oh, okay. Good. Um, and uh, Book Two, The Left Handed Way, would be out in January. And we're currently in negotiations to get book three. So. <laughs> I am optimistic <laughs> about yes, those yeah. negotiations. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, and they uh, can get them at www.graphicaudio.net. Yeah, we hadn't done that yet, have we? Yeah, nah. No, that's, that's obligatory. <laughs> Dwayne is the voice of, uh, of our web address. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Uh, until next time, I'm Rick Rowan. I'm Dwayne Beeman. Ken Jackson. Tom Doyle, glad to be here. (laughs) All right. Peace. All in your mind.